don't know about it going quickly this morning because I noticed that clock <laughs> is broken. So I have nothing to gauge time on. I am watchless. So we just go. Okay, if the sun goes down and the stars come out, we know we've gone too far. Good morning, everyone, and for those joining us online, welcome to week two of our identity series. For those who might be joining us for the first time or you're jumping in, it's not too late. Um, we should all have one of these books, but I know we did run out of copies, so if we, they are still on order. So if you haven't yet received your copy, they're not yet, not yet ready today, but you can download the book off our church website, off our Facebook page. Um, and we are busy with week two of the series. And so just to explain quickly how the books work, just for those who aren't sure, you will see that every week there's a space to take notes. So today is page six. Then there is a life group lesson, so that'll be page seven throughout the week in the life groups. And then further on in the book, you will see there is a weekly devotional. So there are six devotionals um, to read throughout the week and to then unpack the word that we we bring further. So um, I trust that we're all going to have a good service this morning. This has been, my husband last week got up and spoke about, um, you know, how we must stand firm in spiritual attacks. And whenever that happens, it always ends up being a week. So I stand before you, and I know many of you share that, as somebody that has had a week. <laughs> and so I will endeavor to uh, stick to my notes because of the timing issue and also to not miss out on any of the points. Um, but if I could, I'd just like to pray quickly this morning. I know Robert did pray for me, but I'd like to. I really just feel like there's a sense to pray this morning. Um, and so if we can pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, whatever we have been through in the week, whatever might be hanging over us, Father, may we understand and come to know the fact that you have already removed it. Lord Jesus, may we learn from your, me- your message this morning. May we be challenged by your message this morning, Father. And may we leave here with a sense of who we are and whose we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are taking notes, today's title is I Am His Child and He Is My Father. And um, if you did miss last week, the, the podcast is available on the, on the podcast platform. It really is worth going through. We don't have time this morning to do a big recap, but basically, oh, we've got a few books. Sorry, there we go. Is anybody missing a book? If you have, just pop your hand up and guys will come and deliver and maybe they'll drop the pen off as well. Oh, brilliant. We didn't know the box was under the table. <laughs> okay, I'll give a few minutes for that. Okay, so just keep your hands up until you get the book. Awesome. All right. Okay, so while those are being handed out. Um, so basically, the, the idea of this ser- series, and it's always been something that fascinated me, was if I had to say to you, who are you? How would you identify yourself? And I know we've spoken about it before. There are, there are ways and means and titles and labels that we give ourselves. And last week, Tim preached on the identity gap. So you've got lots of books going out there. He preached on the identity gap, which was basically the gap that exists between lies we believe about ourselves and what God says is true and where the two might overlap and the, and the hope and the, and the, The wish for this series is that we would move out of the lies and things that we believe to be true that aren't godly truths about our lives, and we would start living in the godly identity that he has ordained for us. Cool. Everyone got a book? Everyone got a pen?
I'm a teacher, so I'm used to all the handout happening. Okay, but also by nature, I'm trained to kind of wait till I've got everyone's attention. So sorry. <laughs> right. So I am his child. He is my father. And many of us in the room this morning are parents. Some of us are still going to be parents. Some of us have children all at different um, stages of childhood. But the one thing that every single person here, without a doubt, we can all say we have in common, is that we are all children. We have all had parents. We have all had a childhood or are still going through a childhood. And the trouble with that is that there are such vastly different experiences of childhood that it's not always a good measure of the godly image of God as our father. Because some of us have been really close with our parents. Some of us might still be very close with our parents. We might have had amazing parents. We might have had a fantastic upbringing. Some of us might have been through troubles and turmoils that we would never wish upon anyone else. And we might vaguely only know of people with whom we share DNA, but we're not close to them. And the trouble with the the worldly view of children and parents is that so often it skews the godly design for what what God had intended when he calls himself our father. You see, with people, there are no perfect parents. That's the fact of the matter. You might have had amazing parents growing up. You might consider yourself an amazing parent. I don't know about anyone else here, but I find parenting quite challenging. I say that with both my kids sitting in the front row in the room. It's quite a, it's quite a battle. It's quite a, it's quite a, a roller coaster. And you kind of learn as you go. And there's no manual. Kids don't come with a manual. They also don't come with an off button. I discovered that. So you have this sort of, you know, somebody hands you a newborn baby. They're like, here you go, go and raise it. And I remember bringing Lara home from the hospital. That sounds so weird, don't judge me. Brought this newborn home, and Fricky and I had this like, oh, we're parents now, it's so awesome. We brought her home, and we were like, she doesn't do anything. (laughs) She was sleeping. So what do you do? You don't wake a sleeping baby, we know that much. So we put her on the couch, and we played Angry Birds on PlayStation. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just making this parenting up as I go, you know. So if you if you if you are sharing in my in my parenting challenges, you you know, we're in good company this morning. It's it's difficult. There are no perfect parents in the earthly realm. Just like there are no perfect children, um, as I'm sure many of you would nod along with. And because of our human experience, it all too often skews our perception of what God had intended when the Bible tells us that he is our heavenly father and we are his children. And so we're going to unpack that this morning and hopefully by the end of it, we're going to each have a revelation of what it means to be a child of God and what it means for him to be our father and to put aside whatever experiences we might have had with our own biological parents or adoptive parents, our own human experiences, and to see ourselves as God sees us as his children. In Scripture, there are over 967 different references to God, different titles, different phrases that they give him, 967 different names for God, if you will. Sorry, does this thing keep cutting in and out? Not. Okay, it sounds like it to me. Sorry. So 967 names. What do you call God? Well, maybe we should look at what God called himself, first and foremost, above all else. And when God referring to himself as he was here in human form in the form of Christ, when he spoke about God, he spoke about him as Father. 
Jeremiah 3 verse 19 says this. How happy I would be to treat you as my own children and give you a pleasant land, a land more beautiful than any, than that of any other nation. I thought you would call me my father and not turn away from me. First and foremost, above all else, is God has got a father's heart. And the Old Testament does refer to God as Father. It does. We're sometimes taught, no, it's only a New Testament teaching that God is Father. No, in the Old Testament, there are words that refer to God as the Father of Israel. And he even says, this is my firstborn son. Israel is my child. It's my firstborn son. But the, the, the Hebrew translation of that word father is more to do with the nature of God and a characteristic of God. It's more to do with sort of, in fact, if you translate it, it means chief or principal. It's an authoritative figure. It's sort of a remote application. You know, we have this father, this leader in God. And that was the Old Testament. Yet God has always had a father heart for his people. He says it to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I thought you would call me father. So what has changed? Nothing. God has always, before the start of creation, he has predestined us to be his children. You and I are children of God, and it has been that way since before the beginning of time. The trouble is, children sometimes have selective hearing. Sometimes children will have selective obedience. Sometimes the child is the one who strays away. And that's exactly what happened in the case of mankind. And while God has always been our father, it took Jesus in fleshly human form to find a way back for God's children to the father. And when Jesus speaks about father in the Bible, he uses the word Abba, which literally translates to sort of dad or daddy. It's a, it's a personal intimate relationship with God. It's not this far-off, authoritative, distant figure who leads us from a distance and has this sort of remote effect on our lives. God desires that we would be as close to him as children should be with their own fathers. As close, in fact, closer still because he is the perfect parent. There is no imperfection in him. Plenty in us, but none in him. He's always wanted us to call him father. And because of the work of Christ on the cross, we now freely can. The only thing holding us back sometimes is ourselves. The key verse for the identity series is found in Ephesians 1. And so I'm going to read part of that. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 5. He says this. This is Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Highlight the word Father. Underline the word Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Going down, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Can I read that again? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not he blessed Christ with all the blessings. He's blessed us with all the blessings before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure 
of his will. This has always been God's plan. He hasn't tolerated humanity up to the point where he's gone, ah, they've kind of grown on me, might as well make it official. This has always been his plan. You have always been a child of God. He has always wanted you to call him father. He has never moved. He has never changed. He has never strayed to the left or to the right. It is us. We are, through the blood of Christ, fully adopted into the family of God. And that was his plan from the beginning. From the moment Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God had a plan in motion to bring you and I, not just our humanity in general, you and I, your own personal being. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. You. God wants you to call him Father. When we are adopted into God's family, it is immediate and it is eternal. It happens straight away. I don't know if anyone here has got um, any experience with adoption, but my cousin has got three children, one of whom is adopted. But if you ask me which one is, I couldn't tell you. Because adoption is not an adjective. You don't go, oh, here are my children. This is the adopted one. Adoption's a verb. It happens. It's an action. And thereafter, that child is 100% part of the family. And anything other than that is very wrong. You don't have adopted children, biological children. You have children, some of whom may have been born through flesh and blood, some of whom you have grown in your heart and whom you have adopted. It is not an adjective, it is a verb. And so with my cousin's children, you couldn't ask, which, one, which one's the adopted one? Yes, I know in theory, but I couldn't tell you in practice. Because the adopted child has the same rights as the biological children. They didn't say to the adopted child, okay, we'll sign the paperwork and then you can kind of prove to us that you belong. It's immediate. And it was through no action of the child themselves. Adoption is the parent accepting the child. Yes, there's growth and maturity that happens afterwards, but the adoption itself is immediate. The moment you are a child of God, you have access to everything that the Father offers. You have access to everything that all the other children have. He doesn't go, okay, well, prove to me that you can, and then I'll give you this blessing, and then I'll give you that blessing. He's like, you're my child. It's all open and available to you. And that's where we are this morning. The moment we realize that we can be adopted into the family of God, the moment we acknowledge him as our father, we have full access to every spiritual blessing, every spiritual power, every spiritual authority in the name of the father can be yours now in this moment. Sometimes we make the the mistake of sitting in church going, oh, well, that person's been here longer, so of course, they, of course they, they'll be more, further along than I am. Or, oh no, I couldn't pray for someone because I'm brand new at this, so I'll let someone who's more mature pray. No, it's available to us straight away. We are part of the family, and that means we're part of all the blessings. On the cross, when Jesus declared, it is finished, he meant the way is complete. There is nothing more holding us back from our spiritual father. All we have to do is accept it. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) Sorry, my son being all, I'm having a proud mommy moment. That was very nice, John. 
see, I raised him well. (laughs) Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me, except through me. The way is made. We sit here this morning going, you have no idea what I've done. I'm not deserving of God's love at all. You don't even know what happened five minutes ago before we got to church. You know what? Not one of us sitting here deserves it. But it's the Father who freely gives it or offers it and us to take it. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples a uh, parable. Um, and it's the, it's the parable of the prodigal son. It's the one that we, we often refer to. And we're going to refer to bits and pieces of it this morning. But just to give a synopsis for those who might have forgotten or who aren't familiar, basically there's a father who has two sons. And the youngest one comes to his father, and you can kind of infer that this was quite a wealthy family. I mean, I don't know where on the food chain they ranked, but they had stuff, you know. And um, the youngest son comes to his father, and he says, give me my inheritance now. I want to leave home. I want to go live my own life, so give me my inheritance now. And the son goes off. The father does it. He gives, he, he shares it up gives his youngest son the inheritance. The son goes off and he squalors it. He has absolute wild living. He lives the the high life, all the parties, all the, you know, he basically just lives for himself, does what he he wants to do. And before too long, the money is run out. And he finds himself working at a farm where his job on that farm is to feed the pigs. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, you will know that the pig is an unclean animal. And so for a Jewish boy or man to have to work with the pigs was possibly the lowest ranking task available to anyone on that farm. So he went from living the high life with all his inheritance, wild parties, and and ended up all of that gone, squandering it away, and now he's working with the pigs, and he's hungry. And he looks at the food that the pigs, he's having to feed the pigs, and he says to himself, maybe I should even eat some of this. I mean, that's how low he has sunk at that point in his life. And then we pick up from uh, Luke 15, verse 17. It says this, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What an amazing image of the father heart of God that Jesus was bringing in this parable. You've got a son who has rejected his father 500%. And a father who never gave up hope of his son coming home. 
So if you are taking notes, we're going to very quickly go through four truths this morning that we can unpack about the Father heart of God and about our place as his children. And we'll go through them first. I see time is running out. How are we doing on time? We're good. Good. Okay. The first truth is this. And I'm gonna, we're going to make it in the, in the personal pronoun because I want you to write it down. And it's, it's true of your own, li- own life, not just a theory like, ah, oh, other people. It's me. It's you. The Father loves me unconditionally. Unconditionally. All too often in life, in fact, all too often on the Internet, how often do you sign up for something And you have to tick that little box that goes, you've read and accept the T's and C's, terms and conditions. Is that not the greatest lie we all tell? Tick, yes. I mean, they give you pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. Terms and conditions. It's a human thing. You can do this, but that. You qualify for this if you that. Then there's all these sort of hoops you have to jump through. It's what we do in the legal sense when you're signing a contract. It's what we do sometimes in the physical sense when we're dealing with each other. I will give you this version of myself if you give me that version of yourself. You know, you get some people that are like, well, they had an attitude, so I had an attitude. You know, we kind of give as good as we get. Not with the Father. The Father loves us un conditionally. There are no T's and C's that apply in the heart of God. There are no terms and conditions. He doesn't go, I will love you if. You can have a blessing if. I want you to be my child, but no, it's unconditionally. In the story of the prodigal son, the father, think of this, the Jewish father, he suffered total rejection from his son. His son came to him and said, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Which basically is like saying to your father, well, I wish you were dead. Because when do you normally get the inheritance? It's after the parent has passed. Imagine walking up to your parents and being like, give me my inheritance now. You're better off dead to me, is what the son was basically saying to his father. Give it to me now. And then he takes the inheritance together with his family name, because presumably his father would have had some kind of ranking in order to have had money and wealth to give takes takes the inheritance, takes his family name, and just basically shames the family. Everyone would have known, oh, that was so-and-so's son. Look at it. Oh, look at that family name being dragged through the mud. That father suffered rejection, not just personally from his son, but through the actions. There would have been no doubt talk about the town, about the son and his father. He, He went through, the father went through utter shame and rejection. How many of us, if that were our children as much as we, we know we, we should love unconditionally, or in fact anyone for that matter, not even if it's just a child, how many of us, if we are rejected, either reject back or withdraw completely? So you rejected me, we're done. Isn't that that Afrikaans saying, the coolest yeti cat, because that's how you say it. So I mean, like, is that right? It's done. It's not rude, is it? Did I just swear in church? Okay. We'll edit that out later. What the son has done is tantamount to saying to his father, you're dead to me, I'm done with you, I'm leaving. Yet what happens? The son is a long way off when he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go back, I I understand what I've done, I can't be a a son anymore. He's like, I'm going to go. And then the father sees him and it says he was a long way off. 
What does that tell you? It tells you that that father stood at that window watching for his son. He was watching, he was waiting, and he was willing to welcome his son back home. Utter rejection. And yet, the father won't reject back. In 1 John 3 verse 1, It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God lavishes his love on us. He loves you unconditionally. There is nothing you can do that would reduce God's love for you. And yet sometimes we we think, oh, I don't deserve it. And you're right, we don't. Sometimes we think God is doing what other people do, you know, that he will react as I have acted. He will kind of give me what is due to me. He just loves us. He just wants to pour his love out on us like a waterfall, like a river that never stops. God loves you unconditionally this morning, and it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. In Psalm 103 verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Not fear in the trembling sense, but for those who hold him in awe. For those who go, that is my father. He has got unconditional, infinite love for you and I. There is nothing that you have ever done or that you can ever do or that you are currently doing that would take God's love from you. He loves you all the same. And I think for those of us that have experienced parenthood, there's a certain degree of that that we can understand. Maybe not as perfectly as God's, but they're still our children. And no matter what they do, or no matter how they hurt us, they're still ours. And we're still willing to love them. And if we as humans can understand that, the Bible says if you as a, a he- like an a earthly father know how to give good things to your children, how much better does the Father in heaven know how to give to you? The second truth. So number one, God's love for me is unconditional. The second truth is this. The Father embraces me. He embraces me. The father sees the son coming from a long way off. And he doesn't go, ah, yes, it's my son. And go to his study and pick up the file he's been keeping of all the son's wrongdoings. And stand there going, right, when he comes here, him and I are going to have a word. He doesn't do that. The father runs out when he sees his son coming. And he throws his arms around him and embraces him. He doesn't wag his finger in his face and go, ah, told you you'd be back. Ah, I knew this day would come. He runs out and he embraces his son and he kisses him on the cheek and he welcomes him back in. He doesn't sit there going, I told you so. I told you so. And how often do we think that that's what God's going to do to us? We kind of come going like, Lord, I messed up. And you think in your voice you've got, I told you so. That's not God speaking to you. We sometimes get the idea that God is this father who's out there to punish us. And yes, there is truth to sometimes our actions have consequences. But sometimes we go, well, everything's going wrong in my life. So God, obviously, he's favoring that that person, but God doesn't favor me the same way. God's punishing me for something. How many of us have ever thought like that? Or how many of us have gone, well, I could buy God's favor? Because that's the same train of thought, just the other way around. Well, If I put money in the offering, then God must. No, God wants to embrace you. He wants to hug you. He wants to welcome you in. No T's and C's apply. 
There are people here this morning who might be feeling like they are still a long way off from God. The Father this morning wants to run out and embrace you. The third truth for us this morning is that the Father forgives me completely. And as you write that, put completely in bold capitals, underline it. The Father forgives me completely. In Luke 15:21, the son says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That statement is 100% true for every single one of us in this room in terms of our relationship with God. The Bible has said that not even one speck of sin can stand in the presence of God, which means it doesn't matter how good we think we are, we'll always fall short of heaven's standards. Not one of us is worthy to be called God's child, and yet he takes our sin, and he doesn't go, well, we'll forgive you for this, we'll forgive you for that, but that one you've done way too many times. He forgives us completely. It's entire and it's immediate. But there are two powerful things that have to happen when this takes place. And the first is repentance. Because you'll notice there's a change in the son. Notice it's the son who comes home to the father. Yes, the father's watching and he's waiting. But he doesn't send out search parties. He's waiting for his son to come home. God is waiting for some of us to come home this morning. He's there. He wants to embrace us. He wants to hug us. He wants to say, welcome home. But it's up to us to come to our senses, like verse 17 says. We come to our senses and go, what am I doing? I'm going to go back to my father, knowing that I am unworthy, but knowing that he is a forgiving and an unconditionally loving God. You see, the moment you realize, and the moment the son in the story realized that there was no wealth in the world, that could replace the value of being in his father's house, he had a change of heart. There's got to be repentance. we, We can't be stubborn and go, well, you know, if God wants me, he can come and get me. God wants you. But there's got to be a move in our hearts towards him. There's repentance from the son, and then there is complete forgiveness by the father. Complete Truth number four, which ties into that, is the Father transforms me. The Father transforms me. In the story within that son, within the prodigal son, there is a transformation that takes place, not just when he has a change of heart and comes to his senses, but the moment his father embraces him. We read that his father, he says to his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just hire me back as one of your servants. Like, I'll, I'll just be happy sitting in the corner of the household, you know, just I'll be waiting on your hand and foot. I know that I've messed up, but just if I could just come into the shadow of your house. And the father doesn't do that. He doesn't go, well, that's fine. You can be a servant and we'll see how it goes and you can maybe work your way back. He embraces his son and then he says, bring a robe. 
bring sandals, bring a ring. The robe in the Jewish household was a symbol of royalty. It was a, it was a symbol of, of where you ranked in that household. And so the robes were reserved for sort of the, 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 the main members of the house. Does that make sense? Like the, the, the sort of what, royalty, if you will. And his father takes the rags that he is wearing from where he was feeding the pigs. This boy who has left home has come back in rags. And the father takes his rags and he exchanges them for a robe. And then he tells the servants to bring sandals for his feet. And in the Jewish household, only the servants would walk around barefooted. And so when his son has come to him in rags and bare feet saying, I'll be your servant, he's like, no, you're my son. And so he asks for sandals to be brought to put on his son's feet to represent once again that he is a son of the father. And then he gives the the, the son a, a ring. And in those days, it would be a signet ring, which would have the family crest or the father's crest on it. And with that ring, the son would be able to go into the market in town and he would be able to buy goods. And then there would be sort of a wax seal that he would press the ring into and the bill for the goods would be sent to his father. There is complete transformation when we are children of God. God doesn't just want us to be as we are. He wants us to embrace the the, the sonship and the daughtership that he has for us. He wants to put robes on us. We are royalty. He wants to say, you are my children. Be recognized as such. And he wants to say, you're covered by my family, by my name. Your account is for, or your bill is for my account. And all we have to do is accept that and allow it to happen. If we allow the Father to transform us, he transforms us immediately. He didn't say to the son, okay, today we give you the sandals, tomorrow we give you the robe, we'll see how we go with the ring once you've proved yourself. No, it's here, it's available, it's immediate. And yes, for us as, 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 as Christians, there's sort of a growth and maturity that does, has to ha- does have to happen once we become children of God. We want to keep growing, we want to keep maturing. But it's available to us right now. There is no difference in terms of childship between a child that you've had for 10 years and a child that's just been born. They're still both your children. They might just be at slightly different stages of development, but they still have. Everything that you have belongs to both of them. I have an 11-year-old, I have a 7-year-old, who, by the way, worked out the other day and he was very indignant. How come his sister has had more birthdays and Christmases than him? They are both my children. They are at different stages of development. But all that I have is available to them in equal portion. We are children of God. All that he has and tells us is ours is ours in equal portion. When he transforms us, he transforms us immediately. There is a compassion that God shows us that is beyond words. There is a grace that he gives us that we cannot even describe. And the more we are his children, the more we wish that others would be too. If the Father is so compassionate with us, just a thought, imagine how compassionate we should be to those who are our brothers and sisters. See, the Father restores us in a moment. There's another parable that Jesus tells about a servant who is forgiven a debt and then runs out 
and basically attacks a guy who owes him. I want to show you a video quickly because it really spoke to me, if that's okay. It does start kind of loud. It's only like 45 seconds. And then we'll end off this morning. But um, it speaks about the transformation and the lavishing love that God has for us. We couldn't imagine Jesus giving up on us because it's not possible. He wouldn't. Yet he's got every right to. Ephesians 1 verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, may, that you may know him better. That's what this series is all about. It's knowing who we are and whose we are and understanding the Father heart of God over your life. God has not and he will not give up on you. Nor will he give up on anyone that you might be praying for. Keep praying. Keep hoping. Keep believing. And most of all, keep your eyes on Jesus. Can we pray together? Would it be okay if we stood? In fact, I'm going to ask Uncle Stu to put you on the spot. Would you pray for us? Is that okay? You had such a powerful word to begin. Settle ourselves down. Father, there is nobody that can match you. We stand before you filled with the grace of a loving Father. We thank you, Father, that you will continue to transform us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you you continue to take us back to the Christ who was our example. So, Father, as you free us up today, and as we gather more of our own identity, we give thanks that you are in us, through us, and over us. So, Father, as we separate ourselves here and search for you in a greater degree, I thank you, Holy Spirit, you will reveal every iota within our own spirit that brings you glory. So we say, thank you, setting us free. Thank you for causing us to grow in strength. And even in our own weaknesses, we thank you, you're right there. In Jesus' name, amen.